That's so beautiful, amen? It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful way to, to tell that story. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be thinking about the birth of Jesus. The technical name for that is incarnation, definition, spelling, all that up here on the screen. And it means that God, had, God the Son has become flesh. God the Son has become a human. God the Son has become a people. And that's what we're going to be thinking about. Now, before we move on, let's ask God to bless us in the message this morning. Father, we're grateful for the life that we have in Christ. And it is a life that you have given us. And it is a life that you have provided for us. And it is a life that you have blessed us with. And it is a life, Father, that we could never imagine ever having on our own. And you have done it all. And we are grateful for this love and this grace that comes to us. And as we think about the incarnation and all of its meaning for our life and for this community and for your kingdom and to your glory, we ask that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear in order to be blessed, Father, and to bring honor and glory to your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've kind of gotten to that age in life where I ask every once in a while, you know, how many times have I done this? And uh, a couple weeks ago I was thinking, you know, how many marriages have I performed over the years? Or how many people have I baptized? Or how many sermons have I preached? Uh, This last week, um, I asked, kind of at a lower level of importance, I asked, how many times have I seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special? <laughs> you know, it's been broadcast since 1965. You think about, you know, you see it once a year through the early years and over the last couple of decades. You know, you can see it multiple times during the year. And I think, you know, the question is really not, have you seen the Charlie Brown Christmas special? It's, have you seen it a hundred times? You know, and that, I think all of us can raise our hands and say, yeah, we've seen it over and over again. And one of the reasons they keep showing it is because it's great. It is so iconic. I mean, one of my favorite scenes, one of the most iconic scenes from this little cartoon. Remember that little Christmas tree that looks kind of, I don't know if a tree can have mange, but it's got the mange. And they put that little ball on top of it and it just kind of bends over. I mean, it's, it's, it's so iconic. But the real reason that I like the Charlie Brown Christmas special is that Charlie Brown's asking the right question. He's so troubled by all of the commercialism. He's so troubled by all of those mixed messages. Is Christmas about receiving? Is it about giving? And he sort of cries out to no one in particular and everyone in general this question. Can anybody explain to me what Christmas is about? If you want to understand Christmas, I think you have to understand one word. And that word is grace. Now, if you grew up in a church like mine, you were given a definition about grace that was very easy to memorize. It was this definition. It was, you do all that you can, and God does the rest. Now, truth be told, that is a really horrible definition of grace. In fact, it's so bad that we probably need to bury it under a mound so that it's never seen again. But it does tell us, it does reveal to us what our beef is with grace. The word grace refers to a gift. The word charis in Greek means it's a gift. It's a kindness that is given to you for free. For free. For free. And that's where the trouble begins for a lot of people. Most people, myself included, we don't like to receive without paying. We're okay with receiving as long as we're paying. If I'm going to receive, then I'm going to pay. If I don't pay, I don't receive. But grace is about receiving without paying. And, it happen, and the struggle with it happens every day. Let me give you an illustration. You go out to lunch with your best friend. 
It's a great restaurant. You're having the time of your life. It's great food, great conversation, great atmosphere. And then the waiter comes up and he plops down on the table a little piece of paper that your best friend grabs before you. And you're thinking in your mind, what kind of friend is this that's going to try to do something for me for free? And with all of your might, you try to rip it out of his hands while you're saying, no, 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 let me pay for this. And he insists. And so what do you say? Well, of course you're going to pay. I was, I was only being polite. No, you don't say that. You say, I'll give the next, the next one. Somebody said the next round. I don't, <laughs> I don't. I'll get the next one. <laughs> I'll get, that's what I meant. What happens at Christmas every year? I mean, you just dread it when it comes, right? What is the worst case, end of the world, nightmare scenario that most of us, even myself, we've experienced and we dread it every year? That is when somebody comes up to you and they hand you a gift and you don't have one to give to them. Dun, 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 dun. I mean, that is so embarrassing. It's absolutely embarrassing. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to lie? Are we doing this now? I mean, I thought we were going to do it later. I mean, hey, are you going to be at the house tonight? I'll swing by, bring your gift then. I, I didn't know we were going to do this now. I mean, it's so embarrassing. What are you going to do? And so, you know, the problem is that we don't, we just hate receiving something for free. We want to pay our way. But the Christmas story, every time we read it, is a reminder that our salvation, the big concept of salvation, which is bigger than just our sins being forgiven, that that big concept of salvation, it's God's idea. It's God going out of His way to give us what we need most as a gift. So here's something to jot down on your outline. The grace of Christmas is God in love, Offering through His Son the gift of life with Him again. Let me say that again. The grace of Christmas is God in love offering through His Son the gift of life with Him again. Christmas is about getting again what you lost when you sinned. Grace is about God doing what we can never do. Supplying what we can never supply. Opening all those doors that we can never open. It's giving us what we can never earn. It's purchasing what we could never afford and it's free. That is grace. Grace is God doing all of the paying, and we do all of the receiving. That's what grace is. It's God doing all of the paying, all of the giving, and we do all of the receiving. Listen to these two verses by Paul. Now, you remember Paul, right? Paul was the Pharisee above all Pharisees, the guy that pursued righteousness, the righteousness of God. With his great zeal, there was no one who wanted to be more righteous for God than the Apostle Paul. In fact, he would track down Christians who he thought were dishonoring God, and he would put them in prison or put them to death. And then one day, on the road to Damascus, he's knocked off of his horse, and he is completely changed, and he thought about that change in his life as the greatest gift that God had given him in his entire life. And when he's writing to a church in Ephesus, he says in chapter 2, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Let's say that part together. It is by grace you have been saved. Let's say it again. It is by grace you have been saved. Now we drop down to verse 8. 
For it is by grace that um, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the what? Gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. What Paul is saying is that your salvation is a gift. It's a grace. It's a kindness that comes to you in which God has done all of the work. And you receive it with open hands and with a heart of gratitude. And you say, thank you for it. In fact, Tim Keller says that this is one of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Every other religion says you got to do this, you got to become this, you got to achieve this before you get the prize, before you get the nirvana, before you get the whatever. But Christianity is different. The Christian faith gives the salvation. And in giving you the salvation, says, let that turn you into something beautiful. Christmas is about God giving you a one-of-a-kind gift, and that is a Savior. To use the words of Dallas Willard, he is, he is giving you the with-God life. In four decades of ministry, I can't tell you the, 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 mo- the, the number of beautiful, awesome, life-changing things that I've seen. I mean, you think about the gospel and, and the grace that comes to us because God is rich in love and rich in mercy. And we think about people who are caught in addiction. And if you've ever been around folk that are just really struggling with addictions, it, it feels and it looks like enslavement. And through the gospel and through the power of God and through the gift of Christ, people recover their lives and they become whole again. There are these marriages where you just you look at them and you go, no, you don't know, are these people ever going to be reconciled? I mean, they're either not talking to each other or they're at each other's throats. But because of the presence of God and the power of God and the salvation and the gift of God, you find marriages reconciled that seem beyond repair. There's this inexplicable, miraculous forgiveness between people who, through the eyes and the lens of of the globe, have no business forgiving each other. You see, love courageously and bravely lived. You see, sacrifices that are made for the goods of others. These hospitals spring up all over the world. These clinics spring up all over this world. Uh, All of these ministries that are trying to take care of people spring up because of the gift of a Savior that has changed us. People who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. Financial debt has been changed. Hearts overflowing with joy and peace. There's just this free-flowing generosity that comes. And that's what happens when people begin to live with God once again. Living without, you know, living without this, this soul, this heart, this mind that's just dominated by guilt. Because of the grace and the love, knowing that you can go through this life, and even when you mess up, like Bob talked about during the communion devotional, that things between you and God are cool. A life in which Love is the, over, the, the overpowering attribute of your life and not fear. You do things out of love. The big idea that I want you to leave with today and think about for the rest of the week is this. We should never be vague on the greatness of God's gift. We should never be vague on the greatness of God's gift. You know those just okay commercials that are on television? You know, you've got that cat laying in a hospital bed talking to the nurse. Hey, you heard about this doctor? Yeah, he's just okay. And then in comes the doctor. Hey, guess who got reinstated? Well, not officially. (laughs) You nervous? Yeah, me too. (laughs) Oh, well, we'll just figure it out. See you in there. 
you know, who wants a just okay doctor? Sometimes I wonder if when we talk about or we demonstrate what's happening with the gospel, we just communicate, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. I want to read to you from one of Jesus' best friends what the Christmas story is all about. The Apostle John was a young guy. He was a young man when Jesus called him to be a disciple. And we know that he was a fisherman, and we know that, you know, he's a fisherman, he's a tough guy. But John was also like to fight guy. So much so that Jesus gave John and his brother James the nickname Boanerges in Mark chapter 3, which means sons of thunder. And one time, he and his brother James are so upset that here's this village that's rejecting Jesus. And they go up to Jesus and they just say, you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy this village? And of course, Jesus rebukes them. His nickname was Boanerges, which is, when you think about it, kind of a cool thing that, that Jesus was so human that he did one of the most human things, and that was to give somebody a nickname. And Jesus was with John for three years, and John was with Jesus for three years, and he witnessed and he heard and he experienced all of these things. And all that he experienced with Jesus and from Jesus changed him. And at some point, he, just, he, he asked Jesus, where does a guy like you come from? And at some point, Jesus gives him the answer. And if you turn your outlines over, you're going to see a text that I want to read to you right now. John would say it this way. He'd say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We've seen it and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God is love. We love because He first loved us. If that's true, and it is, and my question that I, I always want to ask, if, if that's true, then why doesn't everyone want to be a disciple of Jesus? Maybe it's because we've been too vague. You don't have to go very far to see that there's a lot of confusion about Christianity in the world. Nobody wants to be a part of something that no one is excited about or that no one you know, really can explain. They, just, they don't want to be a part of something they don't understand. Uh, some years ago, the mid-90s, I remember the first time we were living in Brazil at the time as missionaries. First time a Super Bowl was broadcast live while we were missionaries in Brazil. It was Cowboys v. the Bills numero uno. And after church that night, the missionaries and some of the Americans from the embassy who attended church with us, and the Brazilians went back to our house to watch the game. And if you've, never, if you've just played soccer all of your life, you've never seen American football, but you're kind of interested in it, watching a game without explanation can be murder. 
And the broadcasters were not much help. These were Brazilian broadcasters. Didn't really understand the game that much. You know, they'd see a big guy and they'd say, oh, he is big. Or they'd see somebody running down the field. Oh, is he fast? Or if there was this great collision and attacking, they'd go, que violencia! You know, what violence? And you could just see, you know, that just the understanding was not there. So I tried to clear it up. So I said, football, the game of football, is a contest between two teams in different uniforms with numbers, and each supplying 11 men to the roles of tackling, blocking, running, and throwing, but not all at the same time. The offense, through a set play, tries to confuse the defense with men in motion, strange and deceiving formations, the wishbone, the wing, the tee, the eye, the wildcat, slot, triplets, and the empty backfield, as well as a coded language, kill, 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 Omaha, Omaha, and tricky snap counts where a player called the center throws a ball between his legs to a fellow known for some unknown reason as the quarterback who then distributes the ball to someone standing beside him or launches the ball in a tight spiral to a player sprinting down the field attempting to advance the ball down the field to a rectangular part of the field called the end zone all the while listening to the encouraging chants of scantily clad women in cadence calling out bad poetry from the side of the field. Clear? <laughs> I guess I could have just said, these 11 guys are trying to stop these 11 guys from moving the ball to the end of the field. But that's not what I said. There's a real need, church, during this time of year to answer Charlie Brown's question. Which means that we have to define it simply. Define it simply. The Christmas story is what helps us out here. Listen to what the angel says to the shepherd in the fields at night, keeping watch over the sheep. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring you what? I bring, okay, first two words. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There it is. Good news, a Savior. Human beings, whether we like to admit it or not, need to be saved. Saved from our brokenness, our lostness, our meanness, our messed upness. Humans are drowning in brokenness and stupidity. And we need to be saved from ourselves and saved unto God. What we need is a Savior. And then number two, demonstrate it daily. Just define it simply. You know, you don't have to talk about eschatology and, and apocalyptic literature and you know, all these kinds of things to be able to talk about the fact that, you know, there was, there was a time in my life when I was lost and I was blind and I was broken and I, I was messing up and, and I was mean and, and there were times when I couldn't even understand why I was mean, but I, but I knew that I was bringing harm and pain and torture into people's lives and I needed a Savior. I needed a Savior. And then one day I ran into people who demonstrated and that's why we need to demonstrate it daily, not just define it simply, but show it, manifest it. Rick Warren says that your life may be the only Bible that some people read. So the question is this, church, what do people read when they read your life? A big difference 
because a Savior has been born to you in the town of Bethlehem are no difference at all. Snarkiness in traffic, a lack of integrity and out-of-control life, meanness, or a sweetness overflowing with love, a spirit of celebration that you have been changed and rescued and saved and brought close to God, and you are with God every day of your life. Spend some time this week thinking about this, this verse out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 6. The only thing that counts, which kind of narrows it, right? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, which is what God did in Bethlehem. You know, the, the, the time is right now. If you have never given yourself, I mean, you come to that realization that, yes, my life needs a lot of help. And the power to change it, the power to clean it up, the power to change direction is not within me. I've tried. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. And what I need to do is I need to look to Him as a Savior. And the Bible says that you are saved by grace. It is by, by faith. And you know how you, how you respond to that grace, how you respond to that gift in faith? You say it's true by confessing that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. You, you, you change, you make this decision that you are going to change. You're going to align your life up with, with the will of God. You are baptized, which is a, a, a participation in what it is that Jesus has, has won for us, His death, burial, and resurrection. We're participating that in baptism. We're aligning our life up with God. And when that happens, God gives us another gift, and that's the Holy Spirit, which becomes that power that enables us to be transformed into the human being we were always meant to be. Define it simply. Demonstrate it daily. And that's love God, and that's love people, and that's change the world. We define it simply, we demonstrate it daily, and let's go out, and let's live that mission. Let's stand and sing together.